Um, how many of you heard my wife talk last night at the opening meeting? Okay, you can go now, honey. <laughs> now, this is actually going to be a seminar or a workshop on um, a, the, the least favorite topic in North America. And the least favorite topic for discussion in North America is grief. But before we start, I have to spend 15 or 20 minutes correcting some of the things that my bride said last night at that meeting. <laughs> um, well, actually, I guess I won't. Um, I, will, I will have to say that she did propose to me four times before I agreed to marry her. Um, I also want to go on record as, uh, you know, I'm a poor, simple boy from a small Midwestern farming community and never had a chance against her because she was a kind of a wily actress type and she just completely took advantage of me. And I, I fought it. I did. I truly did. <clears throat> but I was unsuccessful. And uh, now that we've got all that stuff out of the way, <laughs> we can talk about the important stuff. Um, bye, honey. We have made a big enough contribution to the Park City economy already. <laughs> I do, I do grief recovery seminars all over North America, and um, I've been seriously considering a new seminar called WOT, W-O-T, Wife Obedience Training. <laughs> but, but she keeps saying, no, if we have WOT, we have to have HOT, which is Husband Obedience Training, and I don't want to go for that. So uh, Anyway, let's start out by giving yourselves a hand. Uh, that's, boy, that's a big hand for a lot of reasons. It's like, number one, for showing up at a workshop on grief recovery. For that, you really, you really need to be acknowledged and applauded. It's also, at some level, uh, a little uh, acknowledgement to you for participating in the first annual Cocaine Anonymous Convention for the state of Utah. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> I need to go on record as saying this is a workshop, therefore it is not a meeting of any kind. It is not an AA meeting, a CA meeting, an NEA meeting or anything like that. That's for all the traditionalists out there that get really pissed off at people who talk about anything other than the big book and the steps. Um, so anyway, the thing that I really want to talk about is the importance of being involved in something that is a first. Now, I got sober in 1974. And so I have been sober for more than 16 years. And I have therefore been involved in a lot of firsts. I, I parked cars at the first ever San Fernando Valley AA convention. And last year they had the 15th one. And every year I have managed to be in town and kind of stop in and, and see people that I haven't seen for years and that kind of thing. And over the years there have been other conventions. Up in Santa Barbara they started one a few years ago. And, and then about seven or eight years ago CA popped up and... Uh, uh, you guys, uh, Jesus, you guys start stuff in a heartbeat uh, in CA. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's like you guys start stuff that isn't even needed yet, but this uh, everybody keep active and get a commitment, you know, and it's like you kind of force it to be there, and I love it because it's great energy. 
And so what I want to tell you to start out with is, is it would be really great if every one of you were here next year. And so it's kind of like one of those deals where everybody makes a commitment, you know, as a, as, a, as a small part of a large thing to be here next year. And the easiest way to keep or honor that kind of a commitment is that you do not drink and you do not use and you do not put any mind-altering substances into your little body today. And then you just keep doing that. And then like one day at a time next year, they'll have the second annual CA convention for Utah and you can participate in it and, and the miracles of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous can start to happen in your life where it talks about a whole new society of friends will grow up around you you know and you'll have you'll have history with people you know and and so anyway that's kind of like my when I first got sober you know I was shocked the first time I saw somebody go out and uh one of those old-timers sent me down and they said, you know, uh, staying clean and sober is abnormal behavior because what's normal for us is to be drunk or loaded. And so what you need to do is to kind of hide in the corner, stand in the corner and just watch the passing parade. And some people will stay and some people will think for themselves <laughs> and they won't stay. And so I have been calmly and lovingly kind of standing in the corner doing everything that I have been asked to do in 12-step programs for a long time and I've watched a lot of people show up and I have watched a lot of people leave and I cannot remember their name and then there's this other small bunch of people who stay and I do remember their names and I remember their faces and I see them all over the country you know and it's like we're part of this little network this little organization of people uh, who are like trying to become people anyway in the process of becoming a people whoever got me this coffee thank you very much um, in the process of becoming a people um, I got sober in 1974 and I presume you have all figured out that just because you get sober does not make your life work <laughs> have you all figured that out yes it's true uh, what it does is it tends to make life terrifying uh, because all those feelings that you were experiencing and so forth that you were treating uh, medicinally, um, all of a sudden now you, you're, they're there and you're there and you're in the same room together and uh, you didn't ask to be there. And there are lots and lots and lots of situations and circumstances where uh, by identifying a feeling that is going on, I can quickly associate it with a character defect of some kind and then the 12-step then the, the programs work very, very well very logically, uh, very uh, conclusively, where I can identify a fear which, which is the chief activator of my character defects and when I can become entirely ready to have a character defect removed and then when I can remember to humbly ask a power greater than myself to remove it, boom, it's gone, that's it. And so I got busy doing all that stuff and I actually got to be about, uh, geez, four years sober uh, and during that four-year period of time I got married And during that four-year period of time, I had a, my first child was born. Uh, who's, her name is Allison, and she's 15 years old, and, and uh, she's trying to teach me about pump up the jams and that kind of stuff, and <clears throat> I'm a tough case. Um, 
but uh, but she and I have this great relationship. And about a year after she was born, my my wife was pregnant again, and everything seemed to be going along just fine. And uh, in uh, 1977, in October of 1977, I had a son who was born, and he was apparently healthy, premature, but apparently healthy. And, it, and big enough so everybody was assured that this was going to be okay and this child was going to live and the whole thing. And after about, oh, maybe 16 hours or so, I noticed people kind of like scurrying around and there was a difference in the, in, the, in the feeling. There was this frenetic energy that was going on in the hallways and, and so forth. And, and I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever been in a hospital environment, the, the medical people tend to talk to everybody except you. And so you're left with your own imagination and... And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have a very active imagination <clears throat> that never once has projected anything good in my entire life, ever, including the 16 years that I've been sober. And so I've acquired the ability to, <laughs> to keep my mind and my shoes in the same place. A really good plan. Uh, but anyway, um, this, the, the, the situation was such that my son had taken this little turn for the bad, for the worse. And the medical people were all scurrying around doing their thing. And, and I, I just did what I've been taught to do in life. I, I tried to survive. And over the years, I had learned a lot of survival skills. That is, little tricks to pull to get your way or little things to do to feel safe, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and so when I realized that there was something serious going on with my son, I immediately flipped through this Rolodex of manipulative and controlling behaviors to try and control this whole situation and the first one, and one of my very favorites, uh, was intimidation. Are you doing everything that can be done for my son? Quicker. <laughs> Sorry, Melinda, it's okay. This is, we're just playing here, all right? Um, um, see, and the funny part is I can't even do intimidation anymore, uh, but I used to be able to do it really good. Uh, do we have any Vietnam veterans here in the room other than me? Uh, I could do that really good, you know. Give <laughs> me five there, Bill. <laughs> uh, I could do that one really good and generally get people to take an action. Uh, I, I would oftentimes explain to them that their life depended on it. And, uh, <laughs> and you guys are all laughing, <laughs> but I never did. Um, and they, the, the medical staff assured me that everything was being done that could be done. And so one of my tools was taken away from me. Now, and, and these are just my tools. These are my survival skills. Over the years, I learned that cash worked a lot. I don't know about you guys, but those last couple of years I was out there, I used to walk around four, five, six thousand dollars in my pocket and still didn't feel safe, you know. Uh, and this was like before cocaine was a big deal. <laughs> okay, this, somebody said in the marathon meeting last night that she was pissed off, she got clean and sober, uh, and, and then they came out with Bud Dry. Right? I mean, I, I got clean and sober before they had light beer, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, don't work the math on that. It's bad enough, just my realizing it. Um, I also just realized the other day that I'm older than my sponsor was when I came to AA. And that can't be because he was older than dirt. <laughs> um, so I went to plan two. I tried cash. You know, I mean, I didn't run around the hospital waving cash at people, but I did inquire as to whether or not we had the, the best expert on the subject in the hospital. 
And if not, we could certainly fly him in from wherever. And um, did they have the very best equipment and the most up-to-date stuff and so on and so forth? And, and I was assured that they already had the top guy in the West and they already had the most uh, up-to-date medical stuff. And, and all of this time, I'm starting to get real frustrated. You know, and at the same time, I'm a man and I was socialized in a society that tells me that men's job is to identify problems and solve them. Don't have feelings, don't participate in anything emotional, just identify problems and go paste band-aids on them. That's what I was taught. And so here I'm trying to solve this problem with this son and I have this wife uh, and she's in the hospital bed and she's going bananas and I'm trying to rush around and glue her back together again. and. Uh, uh, you know, not once did I ever slow down and stop to think, wait a minute, you have an emotional investment in this deal. Um, gosh, and so I ran through all the other Rolodex stuff, which was pretty ridiculous now that I look back at it. And anyway, after three days, why this little baby just kind of breathed out, and then he never breathed in again. And I've got to leave the story right there for a minute. And we've got to go into a lot of background. And the background is, this incidentally is my world-famous drawing. It has already been critiqued by some of the great art critics of all time, so you need not critique what it is I'm about to draw up here. Thank you so much. They told me before I came up here to Utah, they said they're really artistic up there. They're really sharp. They, you, see? <laughs> Don't say that. Uh, and so what I have drawn on the board here is this little creature that just got born, this little baby that just arrived here on the planet, and we'll make him me just for fun. And I arrived here with an ability to participate in spiritual activity. I really did. And I arrived here with an ability to participate in intellectual activity. And I arrived here with the ability to participate in emotional activity. And when I arrived on the planet, all three of those aspects of me were in perfect union. How many of you have ever spent any time around little children? <clears throat> I mean, man, they are plugged in. You know what I'm saying? It's like they work. Uh, I have this son, he's nine years old, and the society has not yet brainwashed him. They're working on it, but they have not got ahead of him yet. And he is, he'll be out in the yard, and he'll be playing, and he'll fall down a trip and skin his knee or something, and I'll go out, and he will be crying, and he will be talking about how he's feeling about the fact that he fell down, and he is holding absolutely nothing back. And about 15 minutes later, I'll go over to him and ask him what happened about 15 minutes ago, and for the life of him, he couldn't possibly tell you what happened 15 minutes ago because 15 minutes ago isn't real. 15 minutes ago is a fake out. 15 minutes ago is gone. And he is in the moment and absolutely every part of him works. When he's happy, he laughs. When he's unhappy, he cries. He asks questions without fear. <clears throat> um, my wife and I have both been sober for a long time and we talk to God and we do that out loud. 
Uh, we want to make sure God's listening, you know. And, uh, and not long ago, my wife was in the kitchen doing something, and she was having a conversation with God about God's mismanagement of something. Um, we have a very tolerant God in our house. And when she got all done kind of talking to God in heated tones, our son looked up and said, huh, Mom, when you talk to God, does God answer back? <laughs> anyway, he's just rolling through life and everything's fine, okay? Now, if, if it all stayed in harmony, if it all stayed in union, we would then have a perfect circle for life. There would be events that happen in life. And what is, this is a test, it's a quiz. What is the most predictable thing in life? Loss. Even more so than death. See, in this stupid society, we never use the word grief, or we try very hard not to, but the one time that we do occasionally is following a death. Well, the problem with that is, is there are 43 different loss experiences that one can experience in a lifetime, and the other 42 are just, we're supposed to act like they never happened. Okay? Anyway, but if everything stayed in harmony here, the spirit, the intellect, and the emotion, we would have life, and then we would experience a loss, and then somebody would have taught us some grief recovery tools, and then we would return back to life, at the same 100% level of participation. Everybody follow that? Make your head go up and down if you understand that. Right. <clears throat> now, let's look what happens if they forget to give us any kind of grief recovery skills. Let's just gently take a look at this. For me, the first loss I ever experienced, I was like five or six years old, and my dog died. Any of you ever have a pet that you love? Remember that? I mean, it's your pal. It was the first and probably only unconditional loving relationship you have ever or will ever experience is a relationship with animals. Because as hard as I try to be unconditional, the real truth is, is there's occasionally just a little string attached somewhere, you know. Anyway, I had this dog... Uh, I had this goofy dog uh, that uh, just kind of adopted me when I was brought home from the hospital and, and I pulled its ears and all that stuff and, and uh, I have told this story before and every time I tell it I get a picture of the dog in my head. Um, my neighbor, friend down the street, had a dog that could retrieve the stick and I thought that was so slick. So I set out, I was about three and a half years old or four, whatever it was, and I set out on a mission to train this dog to get the stick, right? But my first dog was retarded. <laughs> you know, any, any of you ever have a retarded dog like that? I mean, I would throw the stick, you know, and a dog would just kind of look at me and just pant, you know, and go, yeah, all right, good throw, Dad. <laughs> and, uh, and so then I'd go get the stick and I'd bring it back and say, now look here, this is a stick and I'm going to throw it and you go get the thing. And after like uh, four weeks or whatever, I was an expert at throwing a stick, getting the stick, bringing it back, <laughs> you know, the dog. <laughs> And, uh, but anyway, this is a good dog, and I like this dog. And one morning, the dog died. And I walked into the kitchen, and I called to my dog, and she didn't get up out of this bed, this little dog bed. And I was instantly afraid. I mean, I was scared to death. And so I called for God. Okay. And what I said was, Mom! 
because, you know, when you're like six, <laughs> God and mom are really pretty close, you know. <laughs> and my mom, God bless her, came rushing in, and I just, you know, I look back. I just talked to my mother this morning, as a matter of fact. Um, it, you know, one of the promises says you will intuitively know and for my, many years in the beginning of my recovery, I would have an intuitive thought and I would run the other way just as fast as I could. And over the years, I've learned now that I have an intuitive thought and I run towards it just as fast as I can. <clears throat> and my mother came across my mind this morning, so I picked up the phone and called her. Just shoot the breeze. Nothing wrong, anything like that. Just called um, Anyway, my mother came into the kitchen and she did not have a clue what to do. She did not have a clue how to help her son deal with the conflicting feelings that he was having caused by loss, okay? And so she used the thing she was the most familiar with. She gave me some intellectual information about the situation, okay? Now, I want you to follow me along. What I'm going to do is take this little head here where it says intellectual part, and I'm going to move it over here. And I'm going to make it look like a, uh, a little kind of a rectangle deal. And I'm going to show you how the human brain learns stuff. In the first three years of your life, about 75% of the basic concepts, beliefs, thoughts, and ideas that you are going to use to interpret things in your life have already been observed by this little computer you have, okay? You have to understand that everything you have ever seen, smelled, tasted, touched, or heard, either awake during the day or asleep at night, has been observed by this little recording device. It has been coded. That it has, it has been assigned a value. Good, bad, right, wrong, correct, incorrect, da 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 And it has been stored in this little computer here for recall at any time if it's ever needed. And you guys probably think I'm kidding. And some of you have probably been laboring under the concept that you have a poor memory. Have any of you been manipulating those around you with the I got a bad memory bullshit? Put your hand up. <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's lay that one to rest right now. How many of you can think of a smell that you associate with grandmother's house? When was the last time you were in grandmother's house? Thank you very much. 35 years ago. All I had to do was to ask the question. And her little computer went to work, bang, grabbed the information and spit it out of her mouth in less than a second. And the truth is, you probably re-smelled the smell, didn't you? Thank you very much. Cookies. Okay. So that information has been in there for like, and not even have we even gone to, to dust it off for 35 years, and bang, we can go get it any time we want. Now, why is that important? What's important is, is that in the next few years, up to age, oh gosh, take a pick, uh, up to like age 15, another 20% of the thoughts, concepts, beliefs, and ideas that you are going to use to live your life with have been observed, coded, and recorded, so that by the time you are an adolescent, 95% of all the concepts you're going to use to interpret life have already been laid down. And the problem is, almost every one of them 
compels you to become in conflict with your nature. Let me give you some simple examples. Up here under spirit, under the spiritual aspect, is where intuition resides. If you go hang out with little children, they will oftentimes go do things just for the hell of it. <laughs> well, it comes to them and they go do it. Most thing comes in their head and they take an action. It's very easy. And almost invariably there is some adult who is intellect-oriented right there to say to them, well, why did you do that? <laughs> and the little short person doesn't know to say, because... And then the tall person will say, well, you have to have a... What was your thinking about that? <laughs> Little kid's going, what the hell are you talking about, dude? <laughs> That's why I'm a big promoter of Bart Simpson. You know what I mean? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Bart, Bart may save the next generation of children. You know, like, take a hike, dude. Uh, point is, is that little people, little people learn from big people. It's the way it is. Sorry, in many of our cases. In a very short period of time, little people have been taught to not participate in the intuitive aspect of their life. So that years later, we all got to work real hard in these 12-step programs to get it back. The other things that go into this computer over here are very clear comments that tell you to keep it in the area of intellect don't trust your feelings. I mean, let's just take a look at some of the little messages that we all got before the age of 10. How many of you ever heard this one? If you're going to cry, go to your room. Anybody ever hear that? Anybody ever hear that, cry baby, cry baby, in a derisive tone? Okay. How, how about this one? If you don't knock that crying off, I'm going to give you a reason to cry. Now, you remember you're short. <laughs> remember, you're really short when they divorce you from your feelings. And understand, this is not some conspiracy on the part of adults. You know, they didn't get together at Denny's Coffee Shop and try to plan this shit. They're just passing on what's in their computer. You know. Now, you know, the good news is, is that what was in their computer, although it got into my computer, I can change it. They couldn't. I mean, here we are sitting around in a 12-step meeting. Uh, the, the fastest growing organization on the planet is 12-step groups, okay? And you've got to understand that until 1965, which I vaguely remember, uh, <laughs> prior to 1965, there was no such thing as a self-help section in bookstores. I mean, you've got to understand... And I'm not old, and I'm not around these 12-step programs that long. I'm like, you know, kind of like in junior high. And uh, I can remember going to speak at a meeting at one of the first ever care units that they ever had that where you went to the hospital for alcoholism. I can remember when they didn't sign court cards in AA, for Christ's sake. You know? And so it's like, it's just in this last few years that we have started to wake up and, and started to realize that there are things that we can do so that we do not have to pass on stuff that was given to us that is, that's 
uh, slightly suspect. Okay? And it became important to me, well, I'll get to get around to telling you when it became important to me. Um, but I'm sure a lot of you are sitting in here thinking to yourself, I wonder if I have to do any grief recovery work. And one of the first questions you ask yourself is, is how many times in, under a moment of stress or crisis or whatever, have you opened your mouth and had one of your parents come out of it? <laughs> Might be time to grieve and complete <laughs> the existing relationship you have with the adult authority figures that you have had in your life. Or what's going to happen is you're going to open your mouth and pass on the same crap that was passed on to you. And in recovery, the one thing I'm sure of is, is that we, most of us, do not want to do that, <laughs> you know. And uh, now, let's stay on this for a second. We're down here divorcing ourselves from our emotions. For all you guys, I want to tell you that we have taken a lot of gas in the 80s about the fact that we are emotionally unavailable and uh, big boys don't cry and all that kind of crap. And I just want to tell you that we have been unjustly accused. The song in the 60s said, Big Girls Don't Cry. So all you guys just go like this right now. And there you have it. And you girls start working on that emotional availability. It's really important to us guys. That's just to kind of set the record straight. And over there in tape land, I want you to edit this so I don't get in a world of shit. <laughs> um, anyway, so the bottom line here is, is that by the time a person gets to be at least 15 years of age, they have been taught to live in intellect. I mean, it's, it's, it has gotten to the point, am, am I overselling this idea here? I mean, it has gotten to the point where it is our national obsession. I mean, I, we have a babysitter, a girl. A little girl lives down the street, like 15 years old. Do you know what she did this summer? Did she go to the beach and hang out and brown down? No. Did she go to a couple of concerts and get hip and all that stuff? No. She sat day after day after day and studied for her SAT tests, which she is not going to see for three more years. That's child abuse. I'm serious. That's child abuse is what that is. That is obsession. And yet that's the society we live in. That's the society we live in. says, okay, just keep it right here from the top of your head to the bottom of your chin and everything is going to be okie dokie. And the problem is, and the problem is, is if you keep it between the top of your head and the bottom of your chin, I absolutely guarantee you it is not going to be okie dokie. It is going to be a goddamn mess. Anyway, back to the kitchen, and my dog has died. And my mother comes rushing in, and she doesn't have a clue what to say. She doesn't want to say, at least this was pretty smart on her part, she didn't want to say, your dog has gone to be with Jesus. Because she didn't want me pissed off at Jesus. It was one of the more intelligent things she did. I wish more parents would do that when grandparents die and there are little children around. Anyway, that's a whole different story. Anyway, she just kind of put it on hold and said, well, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> I mean, you got to understand, 
of the two of my parents, my mother was emotionally available. She cried twice in my whole life, <laughs> right? My father, forget it, never. So old, old brain power came home that night, God bless him, and he heard the story about the dog that died. And so what he said was, that's too bad, but don't feel bad. On Saturday, we will get you another dog. I'm now, you got to understand, I'm six, which makes me about this tall. I'm short, okay? And here's my dad, and he's tall. And I assume tall people know how to work, how to make life work, right? And I want the approval of my father, and so I act like I don't feel bad, and I try to get into this, let's go next Saturday and get a new dog, right? Now, my father had his faults, God bless him, but he kept his word a couple of times, and one of them was that Saturday. And we got in the car, and we went out to the place, and we got a dog. Hell, we got a retriever. This one brought back sticks <laughs> that I didn't even throw. <laughs> I mean, I had a little stack of kindling all around me. <laughs> and this goofy dog going, <laughs> And the bad news here is, and here's the first twist. Here's the very first proof positive that an incomplete grieving experience was limiting my choices in life. I never developed the same relationship with dog two that I had with dog one. I withheld my emotional participation in that relationship. Now, you've got to understand I'm six and did not know I was doing all this. I was not consciously aware of it. I did not have this kind of vocabulary. But I just didn't love dog two the same. And nobody was there to say to me, Hey, we can replace dogs. That's no problem. What we can't replace is relationships. Let me help you to complete your relationship with dog one so that you can have a relationship with dog two. Grief recovery skills. Do you know why nobody gave me any? They didn't have any to give. Do you accept hugs? Would you give her a hug? Thank you. Everybody look around. If you see water for the, in somebody else's eyes for the next several hours, just hug them. Just hug them. It's perfectly okay. It's, it's, as a matter of fact, it's really great to be human. I endorse it 100%. <laughs> I mean, now that I is it, I think it's great. <clears throat> now, you know, it's like these, these do not sound like substantive sentences. This does not sound like a major deal. It's like a throwaway line from daddy to the kids. Don't feel bad. Jenna, <laughs> on Saturday we'll get another one. No prob. A couple years later, somebody stole my bicycle. Is it possible to grieve over stuff? You bet your ass. And so I'm walking around experiencing conflicting feelings. And that night, my dad came home, and we had the big... How many of you come from families where we had the big deal meetings around the kitchen table? Oh, I'm so tired of that kitchen table. We don't have one in my house. I'm so tired of kitchen table. We had the 20-minute conversation about responsibility, which I tried very hard not to yawn my way through, because I knew at the end of the conversation we were going to go, well, and besides, don't feel bad. On Saturday, we will get you another bicycle. 
You know, because that's what was reinforced in my house. If you lose it, hide your feelings and get another one. You see? My, I remember, oh man, I, how many of you remember the first girlfriend or boyfriend? Are we talking the big L here? Huh? <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember? Run back there and grab that one for a minute. Oh boy. I mean, what you see is what you get. How many of you just showed up totally? Bam, here it is. <laughs> I mean... I mean, including the hormones. <laughs> right? I mean, it was love. And what did the adults know anyway? They kept referring to it as puppy, something or other. They, what, what did they know? Now, how many of you remember when that first relationship ended? We are talking the big G word here, aren't we? We are talking major grief here. We're talking, oh, stab wound. Walked around, oh, man, bumped. I walked, it was a joke. I bumped into walls for three days. I couldn't eat. It was grim. And this time, my mother couldn't stand it. She said, oh, man, my boy's going to die here if I don't say something brilliant. <laughs> and so she said, and I quote, honey, don't feel bad. <laughs> there are plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> huh? Is this great stuff? I mean, I went down to the lake and started looking for my next girlfriend. Right <laughs> I was so amazed to find out I've been going out with a fish all that time. <laughs> I mean, now, remember, those two little pieces of information were getting logged into this computer. And by the way, the bad news about this computer... In case you didn't know, you have probably figured this out. If you haven't, I'm going to let you in on the big secret. The bad news about this computer is, is that everything that's in your computer, you truly believe. That it is always right. That's the nature of that computer. And if you don't believe that, how many of you defended your right to use until it almost killed you? I mean, how many of you have found yourself toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody you care about arguing over something, and even as you're arguing about it, you know damn good and well it ain't worth arguing about. But we're into measuring appendages by this point. <laughs> My thing is longer than your thing, you know what I mean? Always right. I mean, do you realize there are 42 and a half wars going on? We're about to start another one. There are 42 flaming wars going on on the surface of the earth that we live on, and more than half of them are being fought because my Jesus is different than your Jesus? That's insanity is what that is. And don't any of you go out of here saying John's down on Jesus. That is not what I'm saying. I mean, we've got Muslims blowing up Muslims because my Muhammad is different than your Muhammad. My Buddha is different than your Buddha. I mean, you've got to understand. I mean, we're... I wish they wouldn't take these things. <clears throat> we're really wacko out there. And it's all about this concept. This little survival computer, its job is to believe that whatever's in it is right. It has no bullshit meter. So what happens is, is that it has ears, and it has eyes, and it has a nose, and it has a mouth, and it touches stuff, and whatever, anywhere around it, it gets, it just flows in there, 
believes it's right, do you do hugs? It's your turn. Pass it on. There you go. Hugs be good. Which reminds me, I'm starting a new church. <laughs> uh, that, well, there's some, a lot of cable access here in the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> and I decided just a couple of years ago, I thought I would start a new church called the Church of What's Happening Now. You have, to, you have to snap in the right place. It's the secret sign amongst all what's happening now. And as soon as I get Ten Commandments, we're going to cable. <laughs> well, ten seems to be a big number in the religious organizations. So we, the first commandment so far is we pray each morning to never grow up. And I, I presume you can all see that I've been successful in that endeavor. Uh, the other thing is in our church we do not tithe. We tip. <laughs> okay? And uh, <laughs> we tip, we do not tithe. That's right. And the third commandment is hugs be good. Now we're stuck on the fourth commandment, and as soon as we, maybe somebody this weekend will come up with a great fourth commandment we can add to the list. And when we get ten, we're going public. It's going to be big. We're going to have singing and crying and mascara. It's going. To, I got it in my head. I'm telling you. <coughs> anyway, the computer picks up this information, and the computer believes it's right. Now let's follow along here and see if you believe it's right. Let's see if. No grief recovery skills in your life. Reduce the size of your choices a little bit. Now remember, we just broke up with the first girlfriend or boyfriend and we were mortally wounded and feeling kind of bad and we were told to go get a fish. Okay. How many of you remember that when you jumped into the second relationship... How many of you are willing to admit that you held back just a tiny little bit of yourself? <laughs> Put them up. <laughs> Thereby dooming the second relationship to fail from the gate. So what happened to that one? It ended also. And we were still stuck with the conflicting feelings caused by loss, which is called grief. And look what happened. Bingo. No grief recovery skills, and the next thing you know, life's just a tiny little bit smaller. And this little computer believes it's right. How many of you have noticed that if you practice something, you get really good at it? How many of you have really <laughs> noticed that? I got so good at this one simple concept that I could already have the replacement lined up before I didn't feel bad. <laughs> you be good, <there>, <laughs> You know, and when I was out there drinking and using and all that stuff, it was pretty hip, man. <laughs> it was really hip. Except every once in a while, I'd get caught alone with myself. A disaster for an addict or an alcoholic. An absolute disaster to be stuck by yourself with your brain. Because <laughs> every once in a while, a little tiny box where you have kept mashing the truth down in there and getting smaller and smaller and clamming the lid on, the little lid will lift up and it'll say something real truthful to you. And when you come to the program, they say they talk about that as secrets. You know, deep down, my big secret was that all I ever really wanted was I wanted a long, ongoing, loving, nurturing relationship with somebody else. And the truth is, I didn't have a goddamn clue how to get one. You know, and I couldn't tell the truth to anybody about anything in my life because I was too terrified. 
And so I'm stuck with the problem. You ever been to the pet store and you've seen the hamster on the wheel in there going just like 900 miles an hour and not going anywhere? There you're me, pal. Me. All because nobody gave me the simple little, this little simple thing over here called grief recovery skill. Nothing. Nothing. They were, <laughs> it's so amazing. We live in this weird society. I know you've all figured that out. I mean, we are ready if you have a physical problem. We're ready. We are mobilized. We are set to go. If, uh, if Wild Bill fell down right here right now, this is not a curse on you, Bill. No, no, don't do it. <laughs> but if something happened and Bill fell down and broke his arm right now, by education, every person in this room would have some knowledge in their computer about how to deliver care for a broken arm. How many of you had to take a class in health and safety to get a high school diploma in the flaming state of Utah? Okay? You know, at some level, we, I mean, we'd get a little splint and we'd get a belt or whatever. It, you know, I would call 911. <laughs> we're ready. Nationally, we're set to go. Down at the fire department, they are waiting. <laughs> Emergency guys, they have little trucks, they have little, little bags and stuff. I'm hell on the plane coming up here. We get on the plane, we sit down, the lady about three seats in front of us starts holding her side and crying and booty to do and she's having a little appendicitis attack on the plane before we take off in a heartbeat. People show up in blue coveralls with Los Angeles County EMR on it and satchels and bags and t telephones and crap and they're going to fix this deal. I mean, do you realize when you break your arm you can get six weeks off from work with disability pay? Everybody will come around and say, oh, poor Butchie. And they'll draw little happy faces on your cast. Oh, it's so wonderful. <clears throat> if your mom dies, you better be back to work in two days. And you better be producing because broken hearts don't count. That's insane. Until last year, I'm starting to get militant. Wait, wait a minute. <clears throat> calm down, calm down. It's not good for my aging heart, Bill. I'm going to write a number up here. Where am I going to put it? Okay, I'm going to write it down here. 800... Four four five four eight zero eight one eight hundred four four five four eight zero eight. Until last year, there was no national eight hundred number for grieving people to call when something reminds them of the sadness and the loss and the pain and the anguish caused by a loss of some kind during the holiday season. Never in the history... that Now, there is a national disgrace for you. Now, for several years, my Russell Friedman is my partner at the Grief Recovery Institute. And Russell and I had discussed turning on this national 800 number for people to call, and we forgot, you know, it's like we got nervous about the phone bill. <clears throat> and uh, I forgot one of the things I know. Isn't it amazing? You know, it's like in a moment of crisis, this old thing will pop right up and feed you bullshit, you know? I forgot God's got all the money. I did. I forgot that, and I know this. 
So it's like two years ago I said to myself, okay, I'm going to turn on this national 800 number for sad people to call just as soon as somebody walks through the front door of my office with a sack full of money. And two years ago nobody did, you know. And I said, well, I'll do it next year. And the second year, he said, last year or year before last, I prayed for a grieving drug dealer. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm from L.A., okay? <laughs> we break into warehouses in L.A. and find 21 tons of cocaine and, and brown garbage bags full of money that nobody's even counted yet. And I figured out of that whole mess, somewhere there was one of them whose mom died and he felt bad who would bring it, just one garbage bag full of money was all we needed. We, we were not greedy. And so at the end of that year, I discovered there were no grieving drug dealers. And so finally, I really got smart and thought, wait a minute, the plan is wrong. So we, last year, November the 1st, we turned on the number. And we sent the bill to God. <laughs> Footwork. <laughs> Footwork. And... Uh, so far, we haven't turned it off yet, you know, and here we come again, and so there it is. If you know someone who's having a hard time getting through the holidays, that kind of stuff, we operate this number from 9 to 5, five days a week, L.A. time, and I'm trying to cut a deal right now to get it to go seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and, uh, but I don't know the answer to that yet, so all I can tell you for sure is 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, starting November the 1st, the Grief Recovery Helpline. Uh, nobody charges anybody anything for it. Uh, nobody's. We we do indeed have ask you if you want to be on a mailing list, uh, but we do not sell that mailing list to anyone for any reason. Period. End of discussion. Uh, and so there it is. If you know somebody who's, you know, having a hard time of it. Um, how strange. I'm talking about all the wrong stuff this time. Okay. <coughs> <laughs> Yeah, what can I tell you? Now, there's brainwashing, though, for you. You know how this little computer believes it's right? How many of you have noticed what a great emphasis the adult world places on time? I mean, so much so, to, uh, this evening, uh, do this experiment. Sometime before dinner time, go up to some friends of yours and say, Hey, are you hungry yet? And watch what happens. So, I don't know, let me see. <laughs> We call that tot, <laughs> totally out of touch. <laughs> when you look for a, a mechanical thing on your wrist to determine what's going on in your anatomy, that, that is totally out of touch is what that is. Okay? Anyway, and these two little innocuous pieces of information don't cause anybody any problem. <laughs> they don't cause anybody any problem at all. Except, if you've been following these two little pieces of advice, you have been storing up little bitty, teeny, tiny little pieces of incomplete grief. Now, we all know, we have known as a society of people for 14,000 years. We have known how to deal with these, this conglomeration of conflicting feelings that are stored up. All we have to do is to open our mouth and just talk honestly 
about our feelings. And if we were hooked up, if we were back in union with our nature and not in conflict with our nature, we would do this as a matter of course. It would be very simple, very easy. But they unplugged us. And in the process of unplugging us, some little nutcase came and jammed a cork right down the throat of this little kettle that uh, exists right here in your anatomy. You know what I'm talking about, where we store this kind of stuff? You know, I never have been to a meeting where it says, yes, I have a hole in my leg. It's always hole in my gut, you know? And that's where we store this kind of stuff. Now, the body, God bless the body, does not like being in conflict with its nature, so it resists. That's why it takes us so long, over a slow, long period of time, it takes us so long to get so sick. And that's the bad news, okay? The good news is, is that once you get started back on trying to put this thing back into union with its nature, it starts to help you rather than resist you. So that recovery is much, much, much faster than illness. That's kind of like the hope for the new people here. That is true in 12-step programs and it is true in grief recovery. Um, <clears throat> but in this kind of a situation, the body begins to notify us that it is not happy. And it begins to notify us with little signs which are called generalized within the body. Can anybody think of a way that the human body might notify its owner that it is not pleased with the way it is dealing with feelings? Constipation. Absolutely. Skin diseases. Yes, absolutely. Ulcers. Who said ulcers? Totally, absolutely. Colitis, diverticulitis, this girl right up here in the front said cancer. Do you think that's a stretch? Stro absolutely. I don't want to get off on that and make a big deal out of it, but you must understand that we now have, as a society, we now have direct evidence, cause and effect, of unresolved grief and 41 kinds of cancer, period, end of discussion. Why have you not read that on the front page of the Salt Lake Bugle, or whatever the paper is? <laughs> Why have you not read that? What is the most off-limits topic for discussion in North America? Grief. Do you understand? Do you realize? You guys, I don't think you believe me. A year and a half ago in Stockton, California, a nutcase walked onto a junior high school campus and he blew away six kids and he wounded 23 others. Remember that? Did you read about that? A year later, that is six months ago, the Los Angeles Times wrote an 80-column-inch article about what had happened to the families and the children and so on and so forth of this mess. 80-column inches. Do any of you have any idea how big? We're talking big article here. Do you know how many times the word grief was used in that article? Not once! So I said to myself, in my calm, reserved way, <coughs> I said, well, they must have inserted the word loss where they should have used the word grief. Let me reread this article and keep score here. So I reread this article from top to bottom, 80 column inches. How many times did they use the word loss? Not one time. I have this article in my office laminated. 
I am going to submit it to some group somewhere who hand out awards for impossible writing jobs because I am completely convinced it is impossible to write about the lives of six families who have had a child by and the lives of 23 kids who have been wounded by a nutcase and their family without using the words loss or grief in the article. It's unbelievable. And yet it's so. And so, we discover direct cause and effect relationship between incomplete grief and 41 separate kinds of cancer. And so we have ulcers here and we have cancer here and we have high blood pressure and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now then, we realize that we're having these little flare-ups in the human body and we don't like them. And so the body begins to seek out short-term energy-relieving behaviors that give one the illusion that they are getting some relief from all this stored-up feeling. And what do you suppose people start to use? Drugs! Sex! Food! No, not yet. We'll get to that. Isn't this interesting? And about the time they brainwash us, about age 15, isn't that interesting? That right around there is about the point where people start drinking and using. <laughs> isn't that amazing? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <clears throat> so we have alcohol, we have drugs, we have, by the way, food is the biggie. I know I, I may hurt your ego here, but food is the giant one in our society. That's the one that's so much bigger. You take all the other compulsive obsessive disorders in our society, you add them together, multiply times 300, and you will not be beginning to approach the problem we as a society have with using food to deal with feelings. It's a joke. It is a national joke. Now, where did we ever get the idea that eating food had anything to do with feelings? You can't even lay this off on mom. This goes to grandma. Huh? <laughs> you, can't, you can't fade this one to mom. I'm sorry. There you, ha you have it. This, this is grandma. You come home from school. You're six years old. The computer is working. It's recording the stuff. The other little kids were vicious and mean to you for whatever reason. And you come home with big alligator tears. And grandma is right there. Ah, wait. It's, this comes in order. Don't feel bad. <laughs> comma. Here, have some cookies and milk. Comma. You'll feel better. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Now, we got good news. There is such a thing as short-term energy relief. I mean, if you take a little kid who's having an emotional upheaval and you cram enough sugar in her mouth, I guarantee you they'll get relief. No problem. The problem is with short-term energy relievers is they're short-term. How many of you have had the experience of having your very favorite short-term energy reliever turn on you viciously? <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? I'm really going to say something weird now. If you, sh you show me someone who has not grieved and completed their relationship with their drug of choice, I'll show you somebody ain't done with it yet. 
I'm about to say some other really sacrilegious thing here. Are you ready? Everybody hold on to your seat. J.J. is going to say something sacrilegious. The 12 steps don't work on grief. How many of you are willing to admit that alcoholism and drug addiction is a disease? And how many of you are willing to admit that the 12 steps are a disease-based solution to that disease? Great. Wonderful. Is grief a disease? No. Grief is the only proof positive they didn't brainwash you into insanity. Grief is probably the only normal and natural thing still left that you arrived here with the ability to do. And so if you start taking disease-based tools and applying them to something that is normal and natural, they will not work. Now, let's go back. 1977, I had a son die. In the hallway of the hospital, the medical profession proved to me that they were going to be of no help. The medical profession said, John, don't feel bad, comma. You should feel better, comma. You and your wife can have other children. They forgot to tell me that 83% of child loss marriages end in divorce within a year. And mine did. And then we had another grieving experience to deal with. And how did we deal with that? Don't feel bad, go get another one. <laughs> Standing in the hallway of the hospital, the religious community proved to me that they were not going to be of much help to me in dealing with the conflicting feelings that one experiences when a child dies because the religious guy said to me, John, don't be angry with God. God had a plan. <laughs> I'm starting to feel a little isolated and alone here. And so I picked up the telephone and I called some of my relatives who in order said really brilliant stuff like, don't feel bad, comma, you have to be strong for mercy. Or, don't feel bad, it's not as if you had a long-term relationship with your son. Some people, this is a true story, some people who really, really, truly loved me, a doctor of medicine, who was my friend then, he is my friend to this day, had my son's body taken and disposed of without my knowledge or consent. Are you starting to feel a little bad for me? Whew, me too. And so I had a brilliant revelation after we got my wife to sleep. Go to a meeting where I was met with such nurturing support. Like, turn it over. Get off the pity pot. Now, it must have only been that one meeting I went to because we in 12-step programs would never, ever, ever be intolerant 
of another person's feelings, would we? I can remember my ass falling off. I can remember walking around in a fog. I can remember going through 25 block blackouts. And I'm like, I got like four years. I'm like Mr. Sobriety for Christ's sake. A year later, I spoke at the Utah State AA convention right here in this state. I tried to do a fearless and searching moral inventory on my relationship with this child. But grief is not a moral issue. I sat up late at night looking for some character defect to be removed, and grief is not a character defect. So in 1978, right after my divorce, I ended up standing on the beach in Santa Monica, California with a 357 Magnum pistol that I had carried with me for 17 months during a war because 38 pilot survival ammunition fits right in it. And I got it right up here to the side of my head and I've had enough. Enough. And so this God that loves me to death put a little voice in my head and it said, why have some losses not hurt as much as this one? And I couldn't come up with an immediate answer so I put the hammer down. And sometimes I'm not sure if God did me a favor or not, if you want to know the truth, because I've been out here all alone doing this shit for a very long time, and it's not your favorite topic. Um, and so I'll just tell you the truth as long as we're here, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll get into the serious stuff. Um, what the hell are you guys going to do when we go to work here today? <laughs> um, To make a long story short, I, by trial and error and trial and accident, discovered some things that I could do that would help me to verbalize those things that were incomplete in my relationship with that child. Okay? But I first had to identify them, and I cannot even begin to tell you all the misinformation I had to run through to get to the point where I found stuff that would work. I had, how, many of you, how many of you have experienced a significant emotional loss? Put your hands up. And how many of you have been given that free advice? Well, write a letter! <laughs> Nobody told me what to put in the goddamn thing. And so it never worked. Anyway, by trial and error, I finally got this all down to the point. Okay? Where I could, in safety and screw what the big people said, <laughs> hook myself back up and complete that relationship with that child. And then you know what the next... Now, here we're getting into real truth here. Do you know what I did next? I sat on it. <laughs> I went back to my little office and I said, thank God I don't have to deal with that pain anymore. And about six months later, a friend of mine drove up in front of my office and he had a couple in the front seat of the car. <laughs> and I'll... Oh, boy. 
And he came in and he said, listen, I have this couple out here and they have a child who was born prematurely. It's up at UCLA at the medical center and the child is probably going to die and I don't know what to say to them and they're just new kids in the program and will you talk to them? And the first word came out of my mouth was no. I was scared. You know, that if two things had happened, number one, if I started talking to them about that, number one, my pain would come back. You know, and two, I was afraid that what had worked for me wouldn't necessarily work for them. And so I said, wait a minute, and I went in the back to take a leak. Uh, as I talk to God a lot while I'm taking a leak, and He don't mind. <laughs> and so they, uh, make a long story short, they came in and we talked, and, and then we got in the car and we drove up to UCLA to the medical center, and they are still talking about it to this day. <laughs> okay? I mean, you got to understand, this is years ago, and we did not know them, the stuff we know now. And we went up there twice a day for the next six days until this little baby boy died. And I mean, we got in there. Do you know, I never was given the opportunity to hold my son. I mean, not even through the little gloves and the little box, you know what I'm saying? Because they didn't know any different then. And we got right up in those people's noses, and, and that was one of the few times where um, I, I must terribly, I must admit I reverted to old behavior and intimidation still works, you know. And, <clears throat> and we, got, we were able to help them to identify all the things they needed and wanted to say to this child. And we were able to get in there and let them hold this little bit. You know, and we were able to complete everything that needed to be completed. And we were able to say goodbye to this little child that we named for Christ's sake. Nobody even told me that you could name a baby that died that soon. And they were helped. And I was stunned. And then to make a long story, you know, you've got to be real careful with that making a decision to turn your will and your life over to care of God. And God might want it. <laughs> and so it's like one day at a time people started coming into my life that needed to know this information. And that was... Uh, that was years ago and now it seems like every day of my life but you know the good the, the upside of this deal I know I know I look I have a relationship with people in AA that is that, that I mean is beyond belief it's like like truth goes on and we've got nothing to hide and, and it's like it's good but where grief is concerned, real truth goes on. You know what I'm saying? And it's like I have these people. I, I tell you, I tell you, I could leave this place right now. I could leave this place right now, wherever we are in Utah. And I could go from coast to coast throughout the United States and Canada. And I could arrive back here a year from now and still have the very same money in my pocket that I got. And I would have slept in somebody's home every step of the way. And I would have been fed and I would have been loved because there are people on this planet that I have shared the truth with. You know, and it's like together we have, we've gotten past all that who's looking good and who's not and who's hip. You cannot do grief recovery while looking cool. I mean, we're talk, we are talking, we, we do these grief recovery seminars all over North America and we limit them to 20 people because of the nature of what we do and we tell everybody all, you know, people call up and they're not real sure, well, gee, do you think I ought to come? And we say, what is your, your real basic emotional thought about snot? <laughs> I 
and it's amazing, you know, we all get in there and we, we scrape all this crap out of the computer and we put a little bit more uh, more sane stuff in there, <laughs> a little bit more a little bit more human stuff in there, and we all get in there and we all just kind of cry and we just blow noses on each other's shirts. And, uh, <laughs> and the result of all that is is that you get to get your freedom back. You know, you get to get your freedom back. And I also have another confession before we take a break. Until two years ago, I never allowed people in 12-step programs into my seminar. And uh, I don't know why I did that. But then one day, I just got sick and tired of watching people I know, friends of mine with double-digit sobriety, eating shotguns. I mean, in 16 years, I've been out to places like Forest Lawn 14 goddamn times burying people with double-digit sobriety who just never got happy and joyous and free. I mean, just last year, just last, one of the pieces of information that they put in my computer to cover everything when you really want to lie about your feelings is they put in the I'm fine sentence. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> I saw a guy out, I mean a guy I brought to AA. I saw him on Friday night at the Rodeo meeting, great old big social meeting down in Los Angeles. I said to him, Chuck, hi, how are you? And Chuck said, I'm fine. And the next morning, 10 o'clock, my phone rang and he'd blown his fucking brains out. Nobody died. I mean, he wasn't grieving over some death. He lost a business. He lost a business and didn't know how to grieve and complete that. Didn't know how to grieve and complete his fear over a bunch of chunk change, over some money, paper, green ink on it. Is losing a business a grieving experience? I mean, we get calls from people. I mean, remember a couple years ago, the, the, the farm loan thing was taking back people's farms in Iowa and that kind of... I mean, we get calls from people the first Christmas they went through without the farm. Is that real? You bet your ass it's real. So for like the rest of the afternoon, maybe we ought to forget death, you know? I mean, how many of you moved more than twice before the age of 15? You know, and that, that, that's duty. Did anybody ever... Let me tell you how we handle that in our society. The little short people go, I don't want to move. I feel bad. I'll miss my friends. Down here in the emotional level. And what kind of response do they get? Oh, we're going to have a bigger house. Yeah, yes, you'll find new friends. Now, they forgot to ask, will you try to find new friends? <laughs> <laughs> After about that second move, how many of you are willing to acknowledge that you became an observer in life rather than a participant? Why make new ones? I'm only going to leave them anyway. 
Who needs this pain? Screw this. I can avoid this by just not getting new friends. I don't need them anyway. How many of you have had a serious problem with self-sufficiency your whole goddamn life? <laughs> Let me tell you how you spell self-sufficiency. Fear. What is the primary behavioral response to unresolved loss? Fear. Now, I also vaguely remember 1968 when the Gleam Toothpaste people used to have these commercials where the invisible plastic shield would drop down and Bullet Bob Gibson would fire fastballs and they would bounce off the invisible plastic shield. There are about three people who remember that. <laughs> thank you, Kathy, thank you so much. I caught it on, you know, they do those retrospectives on the news, you know, about what happened in the 60s. That's how I heard about this. <laughs> Every loss I experienced in my life using these kind of tools, I just built some more plastic. You know, I mean, everybody talks about building brick walls and so on and so forth. I didn't have bricks. I had plastic. You couldn't see. I looked normal on the outside. I had I'm fine down. Man, I had little faces I put on. You know, I had my little go-to-work face. Bing! <laughs> I had my little go-to-church face. Bing! I had my family and friends face. Bing! Later on, I had my go-to-meetings face. Okay. So, we're about to do a break. And I haven't really figured out what we're going to do after we come back. Uh, I hate these things. Let me go on record. I hate doing these things because you only have like three hours. You understand what I'm saying? Normally I have people for three days. And I have a hell of a lot less of them. And we're all clear on what we're there for. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so it's like here, i got to give you some information. And then I'll try to give you one or two little tools that you can start on now. You see what I mean? If, if this is something you want to start working on. Um, but it's real tough with a time, with a constricted time frame. All right? um, the other thing, if any of you have, when we come back right after the break, let's start out by asking some questions if you have questions. Uh, and then that way you won't be preoccupied. Okay? So it's like quarter to three. So let's get the whatever you're going to do and be back here about three o'clock. Okay? Thank you. Thank you.